Hey, everybody, you're about to hear our interviews with Mitch McConnell. But first, real quick, I just want you to think about your local NPR member station. Maybe you listen to it every day. Maybe you don't. And you just like NPR podcasts like this one. Either way, I can promise you that giving to that station right now, as we close out a year that has been so intense, will make a huge difference. Most of us who work at Embedded at one point or another worked at or with an NPR member station. So we can say from experience, they are everything. They are dedicated and hardworking people who cover important local news that often would not get covered otherwise. They also help pay for NPR's national programming, like Embedded and any other NPR podcast you like. And the thing is, 2020 has been hard for them too. So please consider donating right now to your NPR station. Whatever you can do is fine. Please do it. Go to donate.npr.org slash embedded. Again, that's donate.npr.org slash embedded. Thanks. Here's the show. This week, electors across the country certified that Joe Biden will be the next president of the United States. And leading Republican senators, who up till now had said Donald Trump had a right to challenge the election results, are now saying it's time for him to accept the outcome. It's time for everybody to move on, one Republican senator said. There's a very, very narrow path for the president, another said. I don't see how it gets there from here. Another powerful Republican senator, Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell, also had something to say. First, he spent about eight and a half minutes praising President Trump. The skeptics doubted him. The critics derided him. But President Trump has delivered. Fortunately, President Trump and his administration ended the ideological war on fossil fuels. And there are the many miles of new protections on our southern border, the unborn have had a champion in this administration. President Trump nominated and this Senate confirmed three outstanding Supreme Court justices would take far more than one speech to catalog all the major wins the Trump administration has helped deliver for the American people. Then, for the first time in six weeks, McConnell acknowledged the outcome of the election. But unlike other senators, he directed his words about that, not at Trump, but at Biden. The Electoral College has spoken. So today I want to congratulate President-elect Joe Biden. The president-elect is no stranger to the Senate. He's devoted himself to public service for many years. McConnell's allies told the New York Times he doesn't want to pick a fight with Trump right now because he's worried that doing so could hurt two Republicans in Georgia who are running for the Senate in runoff races next month Races that will determine whether or not McConnell keeps his job as majority leader. Getting to that position and staying there is what McConnell has spent most of his career on, as you have been hearing in our series, Essential Mitch. In today's episode, we're re-airing excerpts from two sit-down interviews we did with Mitch McConnell. Because to understand how he thinks is to understand how he might do things if he does keep his job. Oh, and before we get started, just keep in mind, these interviews happened last year. Okay, here's the show. Hey, I'm Kelly McEvers. 
And I'm Eric Mennel. And this is Embedded from NPR. When we first had the idea to do a series on Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell, we knew that we would eventually put in a request to talk to him. But then something happened. We'd spent a couple of days in December making phone calls to people who used to work with him. And right before the office holiday party, we got an email from Mitch McConnell's office wanting to know what we were up to. See, McConnell has this incredibly loyal circle of people who used to work for him. People who've gone on to run lobbying firms, PR firms, political organizations. And some of them won't talk to reporters unless they get permission from McConnell. One of them probably told his office that we were poking around. So we told McConnell's office, we're doing a podcast series about your boss. Could we get some time with him? And a few months later, it happened. Maybe it's just because I don't report on Washington, but for me, the whole thing felt pretty bizarre. From that first email to the moment we walked in the door. Hello. Hi there. There was the sense that everyone already knew exactly how this was going to go. So you've been spending a lot of time on ancient history. <laughs> Almost like it was scripted. It'll be kind of fun to relive some of the early days. I'm looking forward to it. Actually. Oh, really? Yeah. We had told McConnell's people that we'd been reporting in his hometown, Louisville, Kentucky, which he seemed eager to tell us is a place where he is still not very popular. You get a kick out of the fact I live in it, just about the most liberal neighborhood in Kentucky. Just for kicks, I looked up my vote total in my precinct in 2014. Yeah. Want to guess how many votes I got? In strict numbers or percentage? Yeah, percentage. Um, 35. 27%. At a time when I carried 110 out of 120 counties and won by 15 points. So you get the drip. I tried to ask him about his popularity now, given his relationship with President Donald Trump and the fact that he recently got heckled at a restaurant in Louisville. But the leader... That's what his people call him, the leader. Is like, hang on a second. I'm directing this show. Well, why don't we start at the beginning? When you've spent months learning everything you can about a person, reading the books, talking to people, watching C-SPAN, so much C-SPAN, what do you actually learn by sitting down in the room with him? That is our show today. Our time with Mitch McConnell. After the break. Today, some people argue that the Supreme Court has more power than all other branches of government. But when and how did the Supreme Court end up getting the final say? How the court became more powerful than anything the framers could have imagined. Listen now to the Throughline podcast from NPR. Okay, we are back. Do you listen to any podcasts? No, I never have. No? Yeah, well... <laughs> That's what I will. <laughs> we sit down with Mitch McConnell at a big wooden table in his office in the Capitol building. There are three other staffers in the room. One of them places a phone at the center of the table so they can record our conversation. It's all very formal. McConnell sits on the edge of his seat, his back straight, his legs crossed at the ankles, right over left. 
And he looks you right in the eyes the whole time he's talking. You heard him say, let's start at the beginning. And that's basically what he did. He started telling stories about his early political career in Louisville and how he got elected to the post of county judge executive in 1977. Yeah, pretty democratic town. So I pursued it in a very pragmatic way. I didn't have to answer questions about whether I was a conservative or a liberal, or it was all about people escaping from the jail or problems in the police department. Think mayor. So I worked my behind off and I got endorsed by the AFL-CIO and miraculously I won. But fun to think back about it, because you, you just couldn't imagine Mitch McConnell having the support of the AFL-CO, could you? <laughs> it was only after this interview that we talked to former union members about that endorsement. And they say McConnell went back on his assurances to them, and they never endorsed him again. He denies that he broke any promises. I asked him about something that we had been told happened when it came time for him to run for U.S. Senate in 1984. Two people who knew him told us he said he was going to make a deliberate turn to the right so people across Kentucky would vote for him. He denied that. No, I didn't tell him I was going to have to move to the right. I'm a Republican. I always was. It's just that most of the positions that you would take in a Senate race were irrelevant to getting elected county judge. So it was a different race. It was a race he was never expected to win. He was still an unknown in politics. And he had a story about that, too. It was 1984. Ronald Reagan was in Louisville for an event. President Reagan stepped up to the microphone. He pulled out his cue cards. It's great to be back in Kentucky and back in the land of pioneer spirit and pride. And he said he was so glad to be here tonight with my good friend. Mitch O'Donnell. Mitch O'Donnell. I must have been thinking of the Archbishop. I said O'Connell. (laughs) McConnell. Oh, I thought, you know, this was Murphy's Law. I thought, you know, is there anything else that can go wrong? This is something we noticed during our time with Mitch McConnell. He can laugh at himself. He doesn't mind being the butt of the joke. He has a thick skin. In another Senate office, McConnell has an entire wall of negative political cartoons about him. It's an attitude that's been useful. It's how he says he's been able to take the heat on some of his less popular stances, at least among some, on things like money and politics, which, of course, he believes there should be fewer limits on. That's why they used to call me the designated spear catcher on this issue. And I've been able to rally most of my members to the same position, even though the easy thing to do, uh, particularly since people in your line of work are always trying to make it harder for us, which is part of your job, to take the popular route, and I've chosen not to do that on this issue. For as thick as his skin is, there are moments when he gets defensive. Like when we ask about how he broke precedent to not hold a vote on President Barack Obama's Supreme Court nominee, Merrick Garland. McConnell says in 1992, then-Senator Joe Biden suggested he would have done the same thing. You can't ignore the history here. One One of my complaints about a lot of the articles about this they refuse to carry what happened in the past. And you have to put that in context, or you simply buy the Democratic argument that there was something completely and totally unexpected and unusual about this. It wasn't unexpected or unusual. And I can tell you without fear of contradiction, if the shoe was on the other foot, they'd have done the same thing. 
Absolutely certain. It's just that you are still perceived as an obstructionist. Like that is who people think you are, some people. Well, that's their argument, and they're entitled to their argument. I'm entitled to mine. There was a kind of pattern to the conversation. When we would question McConnell on things like how he has changed the norms and rules to confirm judges to the federal courts, he had an answer. The Democrats did it first. The correct history of it is the Democrats really started it because they were always freaked out. Chuck Schumer started us down this path back with the serial filibusters of circuit judges and Bush 43. Well, the same argument could have been made to Harry Reid in 2013 when, when they did a much more dramatic change. So my critics conveniently leave out Biden, Schumer, Reid, and history. Other than that, they're totally accurate. I have to talk about the president a little bit because everybody <laughs> likes to ask you about him. You know, his approval rating in Kentucky is high. Um, and yours isn't as high. That's the math. That's the reality. That means probably that it makes sense to be with him on stuff. Well, let me, let me uh, explain to you what happens to a leader on approval. I had terrific approval until I got to be the leader of my party in the Senate. And what happens is you get beat up a lot. I think the best way to judge Mitch McConnell is how do the elections come out? I'm 9 and 0. When he says 9-0, he's talking about his two wins for county judge executive, six wins for the Senate, and one difficult primary win against a populist Republican. It's a thing he said to us several times in different ways. And it is one of the things I remember most from our interviews. You know, one of the things I decided early in my career, if you're constantly in pursuit of popularity, you can tie yourself in a knot. I think it's impossible to uh, satisfy everybody. I try to deliver for my state and make decisions on what I think is in the best interest of the country. And um, anybody can run against me who chooses to. So far, I don't want to be sound too cocky here, but so far there have been nine losers. The thing we heard from a lot of people, Democrats and Republicans, was just how surprised they were that McConnell seemed willing to, as they say, let Trump be Trump. To not fight harder to stop a government shutdown to say case closed just after the Mueller report was released, to say no comment when a sexual assault allegation is made against the president. The feeling seemed to be that McConnell is legitimately one of the few people in the world who can get an audience with the president, and perhaps even put some checks on him. And yet, in large part, he doesn't seem to want to publicly. The feeling is that there's this idea of being a Trump enabler, Right. Well, that's the Democrat line. I'm, I'm not saying it to offend you. I'm just telling you yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I'm, yeah. what, what they would Reading hope is that we would join them and torpedo him and do nothing. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's not my idea of, of what our responsibility is. <clears throat> um, we were elected. He was elected. There are many things that he's uh, willing to go along with that are consistent with, you know, with what members of my party have for years thought ought to be done. I'm less than enthusiastic about trade and tariffs, and we've had some disagreements about that. I'm not uh, a mirror image of the president, but I'm glad he got elected. The choice would have been Hillary Clinton, and I would not have been able to do any of the things that I think are important 
to move America right of center for as long as we have the opportunity to do that. It doesn't mean you're devoid of principle, but you have to make compromises and you have to try to advance the ball or you make no difference. We're in this moment with our country's politics where a lot of people think the world is on fire. But in this moment, Mitch McConnell is just so calm, which can be really jarring when you sit back and think of it. Like one journalist who's covered Mitch McConnell for a long time told us, McConnell has done more to normalize Donald Trump than almost anyone. That by doing business with him in these areas where the two have mutual interests, the abnormal things just don't get talked about. In all the time that we talked with the senator, there wasn't one question where he had to stop and think. He had a response at the ready for everything. As a journalist, you're always out for answers. But in some ways, it would be more revealing if there were something Mitch McConnell didn't have an answer for. At the end of our first interview, McConnell said his goodbyes and went into his office. It was actually time for him to do the thing he does every day. Go next door onto the Senate floor and close up shop. But then his communications director called me back. Kelly, the leader wants to show you something. So I go in. There are some other people hanging around, but it's clear this moment is meant for me. McConnell is standing in front of a photograph on the wall. It's of him and Antonin Scalia when the two worked together at the Justice Department in the 1970s. McConnell had given the photo to Scalia, and later, after Scalia died, and McConnell held open his Supreme Court seat until a Republican got elected president, one of Scalia's sons gave it back. And here's what he wrote. The leader McConnell and his legendary foresight with appreciation from the Scalia family May 2018. McConnell told me, I get given a lot of things in my line of work, and this is one that I treasure. I thought maybe the staff was waiting for my reaction. I looked at them like, wow. I looked back at McConnell, and I saw that he had tears in his eyes. Was that because of McConnell's connection to his old friend? Or about the power and the enormity of the decision he had made to hold that seat open. But it was clear that the moment was over, and it was time to go. Later, I sent McConnell an email and asked him why he was so moved in that moment. He wrote, I didn't have tears in my eyes. Okay, 2020 Kelly here, and I just want to say that now, of course, Mitch McConnell is 10-0 by his calculations. He just won re-election to his seat in the Senate.
This episode was written by Eric Menel and me and produced by Tom Dreisbach with help from Naila Andre, Chris Benderev, and Lisa Pollock. It was edited by Shirley Henry and Mark Memmott. Our researcher is Susie Cummings. Our theme song is by Colin Wamsgans. Other music is by Blue Dot Sessions. Thanks to Georgiana Sullivan, Stephanie Penn, and David Pop. Subscribe to this podcast if you haven't already. This update was produced by Raina Cohen and edited by Jenny Schmidt. Our supervising producer is Nicole Beamsterbohr. We will be back next week with more Mitch McConnell, this time how the Supreme Court, the part of our federal government that's supposed to be steady and apolitical, became a political battleground, and Mitch McConnell's role in all of that. <laughs>